0: Technology in the back pocket. Okay. Okay. So Matthew seven, verse. I want to start with uh, verse seven that Reuben read and taught from last week seven through eleven. I'm going to read it the way it is in the Greek. I'm not reading it in Greek. I'm going to read how it is literally though, which he did teach on. Matthew 7, starting in verse 7, it says, Jesus said, Ask and keep on asking, it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives. And he who seeks and keeps on seeking will find. And the one who knocks and keeps on knocking, it will be opened. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets." Whatever good you want men to do to you, do also to them. The word, therefore, refers to what Jesus was saying in verses 7 through 11. Our Father's given us good gifts, so we should give good gifts to others. Privilege and duty always go together. We receive blessings from God, and so we're responsible to bless others. These words of Jesus in verse 12 are often called the golden rule, as you know. And this verse is the key to understanding the Sermon on the Mount. Because in this sermon, Jesus explained the culture of the kingdom of God, which includes many ways that we die to self and we live to God. So as we die to our rights, our desires, our preferences, we can walk in righteousness and love others the way the Lord has commanded us to. This generation has been called the me generation. Some even called it the me, me, me generation. It is the most self centered generation we have had so far. So, um, how about turning with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3? 2 Timothy 3. Paul was telling Timothy what to look for in the last days, the days prior to the Lord's return. And so he says in verse 1, 2 Timothy 3, 1, But know this, that in the last days, perilous, brutal, fierce, is what that means, perilous times will come. How many of you believe that we're in the last days? most of you. Do you know that most believers around the world believe that we're in the last days, and even many non-believers believe we are in the last days? So, interesting. These are the days of which we live. Now, see if you recognize some of these descriptions. or 19 descriptions here. Men will be lovers of themselves. That's number one. Lovers of money, boasters, Turn away. So we're surrounded with people like this in the world. We can't run away from all of them. But what that means is don't have your closest associations with these people. Your closest friendships and associations need to be within the body of Christ. And then from that place, you reach out to these people with the truth of the gospel. But may it not be said that any of these describe us. We cannot be lovers of ourselves, too and lovers of money, and boasters, and proud, and blasphemers. This should not describe people in the kingdom of God. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, we see that the first four are directed to God. They're about God. Um, We are instructed in the first four to love God, to have no idols before Him, to honor His name, and to keep the Sabbath holy. Then the focus of the commandments shift for the next six, and they are about man to man. How are we going to relate to each other? Honor parents, not murder, not commit adultery, not steal, not bear false witness, and not covet what someone else has. So what's revealed by the order of the commandments is that we are first to be righteous before God, and then we live righteously before others. Our righteousness before God should show in the way that we relate to one another. If we will allow God's love to fill us, if we will be rooted and grounded in His love, if we will know the depth, the height, the length and breadth of the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of God, as it's spoken about in Ephesians 3, then we can do for others as we would like them to do for us. But if we're walking in the flesh... We're just trying to do everything in our own strength. We cannot love people that way. As we listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit, we'll know what to do and how to do it and when to do it. We have got to be tuned with the voice of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Sons of God are the children of God that reflect Him. They're not just general born-again-yesterday children of God. They're children of God that have grown to a place of maturity where they look more like the father. They resemble their father. These are the ones who are led by the Spirit of God. And we need to be filled with the Spirit of God and led by the Spirit of God as His mature children. We want to grow up into maturity. We don't want to be children the rest of our lives. Let's turn to 2 Kings. If you read the chapter, then you've, you may have already read a little bit of this or at least the commentary on it. I want us to read the whole story. It's an amazing story. 2 Kings chapter 6. Okay, 2 Kings 6, we're going to start in verse 8. We will read all the way through 23. 2 Kings 6, 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he took counsel with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God, that was Elisha, sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not... Past this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. So he's giving away the Holy Spirit's giving him intel. He hears from the Spirit of God, and Elisha tells the king of Israel, and then is and then you know. So basically, he's given away the plans of the king of Syria every time it happens a number of times. Verse ten: The king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So it was more than that. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me wh- which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, who's committing treason here? Who's the tattletale? Who's telling the king of Israel our plans? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So here he's speaking these words in the bedroom. God's telling Elisha, Elisha's telling the king of Israel. So verse verse 13, he said, Go and see where he is that I may send to get him. And it was told him, Surely he, that's Elisha, is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. Man, this is a big army, surrounded the whole city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are, are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Isn't it interesting that Elisha did not say, Lord, help us. Lord, we're calling on your name. Help us. We're surrounded with the enemy. He, no, he said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant so that he can see what I already know. I already see this. Elisha already saw into the spirit realm. He already saw the army of God that was greater than the the Syrian army. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountains, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Look at this. Isn't this interesting? I was reading this again today and I thought, here Elisha says, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. God opens them and the servant sees all of the army of God. Then Elisha says, Lord, uh, blind the eyes of this army and God blinds all of them. An entire army went blind just like that. Wouldn't it be neat to have that kind of prayer power? (laughs) to have that kind of authority with the Lord, that you just say, Lord, open his eyes, Lord, close their eyes. So Elisha says to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city. I think that'd be so cute. That'd be a good movie. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So here he leads the whole army to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, now open their eyes that these men may see. Here he goes again. What authority he has with the Lord. I mean, prophets of God, they, they speak with authority to God. God speaks with authority to them. There's just such a wonderful connection here. But the Lord wants us all to have that kind of connection. Okay. So anyway, he says, open the eyes that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes. And they saw the entire army could see all over again. And there they were inside Samaria. So they're right inside the enemy's camp because that's where the king of Israel is. When the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? I think he was anxious. (laughs) Let me at them. Can I kill them? And Elisha answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you've taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. Here he is giving a feast to his enemies. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. They had peace for a while. He did unto that army what he would have wanted that army to do to him enemy army. So I'm just going to receive a, uh, remind you a few things that I kind of pointed out as we read through. First one, Elisha was hearing from the Spirit of God. And so then he warned the king, king of Israel of the plans of the king of Syria. His ability to hear the Lord's voice was key, and it is key for us as well. We need to be able to discern the voice of the Lord. Number 2 when the Syrian army surrounded the city where Elisha was Elisha did not fear or pray for safety he saw in the spirit that the angelic army of God outnumbered the Syrian army and so he prayed for his servant's eyes to be opened and that's a good prayer for us to pray Lord I pray open my eyes that I might see what you are doing Lord open my eyes so that I can see what you're doing What are you doing in Russia and Ukraine How do I pray? Lord, open my eyes so I can see what you're doing in our nation, in our government, in our church, so that I can pray. Don't let me pray out of my own thoughts, my own soul, my own understanding. That is so lacking. Lord, open my eyes. Let me see from your perspective what is going on so that I can co-labor with you in prayer. And then number three, in verses 22 and 23, we see how well the king of, of Israel treated the enemy troops. He fed them with a feast, he returned them home safely, and that resulted in peaceful relations between Israel and Syria for a while. The Israelis did unto the Syrians what they would have wanted the Syrians to do for them. Let's go to Romans 12. We'll be turning to a number of places in the Word today. I just pray the Word will wash over us and it will instruct us and it will be embedded in our lives. Romans 12, starting in verse 18. Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, Live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So he starts out saying, As much as it depends on you, you live peaceably with all men. There may be some that won't live peaceably with you. You've apologized, you've explained, you've, you've made restitution, you've done everything you know to do, but they will not be at peace with you. It, that's not on you. You've done everything you know to do. So that's what the word is. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all. If someone sins against you, leave vengeance to God. Forgive from your heart. And give your enemy what he needs. If he needs food or water, give him that. If he needs warmth, give him that. And I've got a visual aid here. What they did, in, often in Bible times, is they would have uh, like a bowl or some kind of container that they put on their head. and Because they, they usually all wore head dressings of some sort. Head, and so they would wrap it in a head dressing and they would put hot coals in it. And that would keep the whole body warm. You know how when you're real cold, you got to cover your head, put your head under the covers, or you wear a cap or something? So that's what they did. They'd have a bowl or some kind of container, or they'd put hot coals in there, and it would keep them warm. So what he's saying here is, If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you are giving him comfort. You're giving him warmth. It's not a negative to say, you will heap coals of fire on his head. We, if we don't understand that phrase, we might think it's a negative. But it's a positive. You're heaping coals of fire on his head. You're keeping him warm. You're meeting his needs. And by this, you are overcoming evil with good. The last I verse... That. So, so agree. <laughs> so much. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're here tonight. I was very glad when I heard the, the, this understanding of it, too. Okay, so then the last verse, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That means don't let evil overcome you. Don't let it defeat you. Don't let it steal your joy and your peace. Instead, overcome, conquer, defeat. I'm giving you different synonyms. Rise above, prevail over evil with good. So if there's evil around you, overcome it. Prevail over it. Rise up over it. Defeat the evil by the good that you're going to walk in. You can see it's it's a spiritual warfare strategy. This isn't just do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's not just a nice saying. It's a command from the Lord, but there is purpose in it. There's spiritual warfare in it. If we will overcome evil with good, we are taking ground back from the enemy and we are establishing God's kingdom in that area. When we do good to those who, are, who mean evil against us, the situation might turn out for our good, and it might not. It might result in peace or reconciliation, and it might not. But our obedience to the Lord is what's important, and that pleases Him. So let's read John 10. John 10, we're going to read verses 17 and 18, and then we're going to flip over to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. This is why you need a paper Bible, so you can do things like this. John 10, 17 and 18, and then we'll go to 2 Corinthians 8. Okay, verse 17, Jesus said, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Notice Jesus said, I lay down my life. And then he would take it again. Verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Now, if you go to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So Jesus chose to lay down his life so that we could live. He became poor, he left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny, which was the cross. He gave that up so that we could be rich, in salvation, in eternal life in heaven. And just as he had the power to lay down his life and take it up again, in a sense, so do we. We have the power to lay down our life. We have the power to take it up again. We can choose every day to die to ourselves, to lay down our preferences, and to put others' interests above our own. We can choose to live sacrificially, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, I die daily. I die daily. You know, most of the believers around the world today are persecuted for their faith. We are a minority that we're not being persecuted right now. The persecuted believers in China have a saying between themselves. They say, today is a good day to die. Today is a good day to die. They know that any day they can be arrested, tortured, imprisoned, killed. And so instead of dreading it, they encourage each other to entrust their lives to the Lord and they have a positive outlook. Today's a good day to die. Man, if we die today, we're going to be with Jesus today. We're going to be in heaven today. This is a good day to die. And can you imagine what it would be like for each one of us every morning as we're getting ourselves ready for the day to look in the mirror and say to ourselves, today is a good day to die. Today I can die to myself. Today I can die to my preferences and my priorities. And I can serve somebody else. I can prefer somebody else. Today is a good day to die. We don't have to lay down our lives yet as far as mortality But we do need to lay down our lives. We have the power to lay them down. We can do it. We have it easy in America right now. It's relatively easy to obey the golden rule to do for others what we want them to do for us. It doesn't really cost us a lot right now. It might cost us time or energy or money. It might mean praying for someone who's weary or in pain knowing that you need prayer yourself. So you're putting their needs above yours. It might be taking food to the sick when you'd like someone to bring food to you because you actually don't feel very good either. The golden rule can touch on the very areas where you need ministry yourself. To obey this command, you give to others exactly what you need. Maybe you need patience, but you choose to be patient with others. Maybe you want children and the Lord hasn't given you children. Maybe you're too young still and you're not married yet and you don't have children, but you would love to be around children. You can lay down an afternoon and babysit for someone who would love to have a break from their children. Maybe your home needs cleaning, but you offer to help a friend clean her home. You feel pressed for time, but you sacrifice a few hours to listen to someone who's struggling with pain or with grief. It costs us to do for others what we would like them to do for us. It means that we give away that which we want and we need. We see their struggles and we help them when we are struggling ourselves. Philippians 2 verses three and four says, "'Let each esteem," which means to regard or consider others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Turn with me to Ephesians four, Ephesians four, thirty two. And then we'll read chapter five verse one. Ephesians 4:32 says, "And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you." Therefore be followers of God as dear children." Why? Because God is tender-hearted and kind, and He forgives us. He's gracious to us. Therefore we should forgive and be gracious and kind to others. Don't let your conduct be determined by the way people treat you but by the way god treats you don't treat others the way you have been treated or the way you're being treated now treat others the way god has treated you and is treating you now he's tender-hearted toward you so be tender-hearted toward others let's go to 1 john chapter 4 You can see all throughout the Scripture is the golden rule, right? It's just laid out in all different ways. 1 John four twenty and 21 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has, whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So it's easy for us to say we love God. If you're uh, in our gatherings here, you probably enjoy the worship. We enjoy the worship. It just lifts you. Sometimes you can feel the presence of God and everything in you just says, God, I love you. I love God. I love worshiping God. But what if he were to test that love and say, do you love your brother? How are you loving your sister? What are you doing for your neighbor? What are you doing for someone else that you would really love someone to do for you? God expects us to love as he does. So we can't just say, I love God, but not love the people around us. If we love God, we have this vertical relationship. It should show out horizontally as we love the people around us. Okay, let's go back to Romans. We're going to go to Romans 13. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another. You know what that means? We all have a debt of love that we owe. He who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Any lack of love is lawlessness and rebellion. That's pretty strong, isn't it? That, but that's what it says. Basically, if you turn it, any lack of love is lawlessness because love fulfills the law. If we're not walking in love, we're walking in lawlessness and rebellion and disobedience to the Word of God. Romans 12, verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving, giving preference to one another. So when the Bible does not give us specific instructions for our situations, we are to obey the golden rule. We know what we would like, so that's what we do for others. We treat people with kindness because we would like kindness. We're considerate because we appreciate consideration. We express appreciation because we all want to be appreciated. We're faithful in our relationships because we want faithfulness from others. Today, the golden rule is often understood negatively. Don't do to others what you don't want done to them. That's easier to obey because not too many of us would want to harm somebody intentionally. So by stating it positively, Jesus made it more significant. It's not so hard to refrain from doing harm. It's much harder to intentionally do something good for them or for them. Now let's go back to Matthew 7. Now, sometimes we just need to sit back and say, What would I like someone to do for me? Then we decide what that is, and then we say, Lord, who can I do that for? Who can I make brownies for? Who can I go clean their kitchen? Okay, Matthew seven. We're going to read verse twelve again. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is this fulfills the law, and the prophets. If we will obey this, we'll reflect the heart of our heavenly Father. And one verse that we'll obey, one verse out of a multitude of verses, is Matthew five forty four that says. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And let's look at verse 21, Matthew seven twenty-one. Jesus said, Not, every, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not every one of them will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's doing God's will that's important. It's obeying him as Lord. It's not calling him Lord. A lot of people pray and they start their prayer saying, Lord, dear Lord Jesus, a lot of us call him Lord, but do we serve him as Lord? Do we obey him as Lord? It's his will that we do for others just as we would have them do for us. And that is a command that we need to obey because he is our Lord. Jesus said in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So consider, just think as I'm um, just... Say a few things here, and then we're going to go into a a little bit of time of quiet prayer. We can hear the Lord speak to us. Consider your family or your circle of friends or acquaintances. What needs do they have that you can meet? Tangible needs. Friendship needs. A listening ear. Someone to pray with them. What can you do for others that you would like them to do for you? So let's have a couple of minutes and let's listen and hear what the Holy Spirit says to us. Let's ask Him. Holy Spirit, please speak to us. The people in our lives, Lord, what do they need that we can give or that we can do for them? How can we serve the people that you have placed in our lives? What is obedience for us concerning this verse? How do we live it out? Would you please speak to us and give us some tangible things we can do or ways we can pray for our loved ones?